Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So as we jump into the message, let's start with Jesus' own words in Luke 12. He says, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, another big word for greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Isn't this a perfect way to start off a Valentine's message? Maybe you can use this verse if you actually forgot to do anything, get chocolates or anything else, so you can just say we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to buy things, we're okay, right? Don't think so. That's not going to cut it. Seriously, let me read the last line one more time. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Later in the same passage, Jesus says, And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then Jesus goes on to say, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants you to have all the goodness of His kingdom. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do you feel about Jesus' words? I think most of us struggle because we think the good news of the gospel has to include a certain level of wealth and income for us. I think we're affected by our culture's belief that the more you have, the happier you will be. That the good life is found in accumulation, that more is better. We find ourselves searching for things that will make us happy, yet happiness never really comes or it doesn't last very long, even when we get some of those things. That's why we're in this series called Deeply Formed, because we want to follow the ways of Jesus to be spiritually transformed so we have a richer, more enduring quality of life. It's not just about having a set of ideas that we believe or a list of do's and don'ts, but a lifestyle that is based on Jesus himself. To live in a way that our lives and our homes and our finances, everything about us lives for what really matters most in life. A high need for more has not always been the American way. However, after World War II, there was this deliberate kind of shift in America from a needs culture to a desires culture. Advertising focused on turning our wants, our desires, into a felt need. We see this in the common business practice today of planned obsolescence, which is training people to desire to want new things even when their old things are still working, which is why you always want the latest iPhone every fall. Right? It reminds me of a famous phrase Will Rogers once said. He said, Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. Did you know shopping has become the number one leisure pastime in America? On average, Americans are, uh, see 5,000 advertisements a day. 
The U.S. is the largest advertising in the market. In 2020, $242.5 billion was spent in ads. Billions are spent garnering data from every Google search or Instagram scroll or social media thing that we do to target our unconscious drives to manipulate us to buy things, helping us spend money on things we don't need. And it's working. The average American home, this isn't really the really wealthy homes. The studies say the average American home has over 300,000 items in it. We consume twice as much material goods as we did just 50 years ago. In those same 50 years, the average home size has tripled in size, and yet today 25% of homes with two-car garages still can't park any of their cars in the garage. And 32% more of those homes have only room for one car. That means well over 50% of Americans with two-car garages can't put both cars in the garage because of the clutter. In the midst of this push to have more, Princeton University did a landmark study in 2010 and another one in 2017 that kind of showed the same results, gathering data from 450,000 Gallup surveys. They concluded that your overall well-being does rise with your income, but only to a certain point. When you hit that point, you either plateau or more than often, it actually gets worse when you go above that in terms of your well-being. In their, in their words, they said, no matter where you live, your emotional well-being is as good as it's going to get at $75,000, maybe 90000 with inflation today. And money's not going to make it better beyond that point. It's like you hit some sort of a ceiling and you can't, and you're, you can't get emotional well-being much higher just by having more money. So what this is saying is that poverty is hard, but once you get to a solid middle-class life, money and things don't give you more happiness the more you accumulate them. Once you hit middle-class life, having more money doesn't help in terms of well-being. In addition, our culture greatly affects our sense of well-being and happiness. In Wendy's positive psychology courses that she teaches at the colleges she teaches at, they discuss how this is not a straightforward, there's not a straightforward relationship between wealth and well-being when you compare it to varying cultures and different countries. And many of her students are actually from other countries, and they'll actually discuss in open discussion in her classes really often that the students from the outside the U.S. say that how they've been struck by how dissatisfied Americans are, how Americans seem to want all the time, not being satisfied with what they have. Because what these students experienced was the people in their countries had so very little, but they didn't want. So they were not dissatisfied. They were content with what they had and happy. It leads us to conclude that Jesus was actually spot on. Real life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Having more stuff, more money, does not lead to the good life. At the same time, 
I'm not saying Jesus doesn't want us to enjoy and experience good things. I mean, just last week we talked about the Sabbath as a day that is intended to be a day of delight. It's a day that we're supposed to take time and enjoy and celebrate wonderful things God has given us, good food, beautiful things, people around us. Jesus is wanting to make sure our lives, though, are centered in what really, really matters. Now, I realize we're also in really difficult economic times. Some of us are hurting, have lost jobs, are concerned that you'll lose your business or your home. There's all sorts of pressure. To talk about simplicity today, freeing ourselves from the love of stuff, could seem insensitive or uncaring. And that's not our heart at all. Please, if you are in need, we want to be a community where we stand together with one another and we help with each other when we're in difficult times. But even for those who are experiencing difficulty, simplicity is more than just about money and things. It includes that, but it's more than that. At its core, simplicity is living with the margin in life so that we can enjoy living generously, helping each other through difficult times and living with margin in our own lives that we can, so that we can make it through difficult times because we have plenty. It's kind of interesting. Even though Jesus talked a lot about money in the church, we don't talk about it a lot. We talk about the tithe. We talk about how God is the giver of all good things. But we don't spend a lot of time talking about how he wants us to spend all the money that we have. Our culture pushes us, on the other hand, constantly for more, for greed. We live with a nagging sense in life that we never have enough. At the time he was the wealthiest man, Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough? And his reply, anybody remember it? Just a little bit more was his reply. See, I think we especially saw this during quarantine. We couldn't shop at the stores, but Amazon was doing quite well. If you put money in them, you did well this last year. And there was a meme going around during this time of a person talking to a therapist, and the therapist asks the client, well, what do we say when we're sad? And the client says, add to cart. No, that's not the answer, right? Yet I think many of us started looking forward to those deliveries from Amazon maybe a little bit too much this last year. We started using shopping as a deflection, a way to numb or escape. I mean, we know the cliches, right? that mo the most important things in life are not things. And yet we still have more stuff in our closets and our garages than we need. We still want a little bit more money in our paycheck, a little bit more cushion in our retirement fund, a few more square feet for our home, a little bit nicer, this or that. We continue to get caught up in the cycle that money and stuff can give us security and satisfaction. We continue to seek out things when what we really desire is only fulfilled by God. No matter how much money, how much stuff we have, how much work status, romance, family, nothing else will fill that inner void that we have except for God, which is why so many of us live with a chronic sense of dissatisfaction in life, which is the reason why a, a profound British lyricist said this, I can't get no satisfaction, right? Our goal for today is, how do we follow Jesus in a way that brings contentment and peace? And one thing that helps greatly is this ancient spiritual practice of simplicity. 
So let's head back to our main Bible passage. Just before Jesus says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, he shares a story about a rich man who had had an incredibly abundant harvest, which was a byproduct of God's generosity, a gift to him by God. And it says this, And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. What what will I do with all this extra money, all this extra stuff? And the man in the story says, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. I'll, I'll expand my house, and I'll buy a storage facility. I will sell my business and diversify my portfolio, and I'll live off of all the dividends. I'll say to myself, the story goes on, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. So this Greek word for fool means fool. Senseless, foolish, stupid, without reflection, without intelligence. Ouch. Pretty strong word. God goes on the story and says, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be then? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I mean, life is short, your end is coming, so store up extra stuff for yourself, right? Jesus' basic point is the good life is not found in having surplus wealth or early retirement or a life of pleasure, which is a nice way of saying hedonism, which is, I think, something that drives most of the American dream. Jesus is saying the good life is living a self-giving love with God and with others. I mean, about 25% of Jesus' teachings are on the subject of money and possessions. Can you imagine if every fourth message we talked about that here at Quest? Money? I don't think that would go very well. Jesus didn't speak often about money because he was trying to get finances for his ministry. He wasn't fundraising. He spoke it because he knew our hearts. He knew our tendency to consume things, and he knew how things start to consume our hearts. I mean, Jesus is always after our hearts. Money, things, are often easier to run to when our heart's crying out than Jesus is. How many times have you turned to buying something when you were trying to distract yourself or soothe yourself from life, from the conflict, from the boredom, from the frustration of life? When have you bought something, but but what you really wanted was God's peace, and you didn't get it even when you bought the stuff, right? Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's not a great idea. Notice the gravity of his language. He says, you cannot serve two masters. If you try to serve money and God, money will take over your heart unless you diligently surrender your money to God and obey Him with your money. Money will rule the day. Wealth is dangerous because it can take control over your mind and your soul and drive you to ruin, even if your bank account is overflowing at the moment. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, Jesus is telling us. Don't give your mental and spiritual energy to that. 
We already saw in this passage above how Jesus actually ties worry and anxiety to money, showing our human condition. But yet we fret and we ruminate or, or whatever, about whatever we think is going to meet our heart's desire, be it money or career or, or buying something or, or going on a certain vacation or whatever people think of us. It doesn't matter. We fret and we worry about that stuff. The focus of our heart's desire will come to dominate our hearts and lives, whatever that focus is. So Paul expands on Jesus' words when he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is at the heart of so much of what is wrong in our world. I mean, pastoring, I've seen this over the years. I've seen people eager for money wander from their faith only to find it leading them to experience so much grief and so many heavy consequences, especially for their soul and for their relationships. So we see Jesus and the writers of the New Testament agree that the good life is not found in a new car. It's not the dream of a, or the dream of a home or fine dining or early retirement or anything else. And they call us instead to a lifestyle of simple living that expresses radical generosity, a grateful kind of joy in the ordinary pleasures of life. And above all, a deep contentment in God. Doesn't that sound good, contentment? Doesn't that sound great? Let's not confuse contentment with the Buddhist elimination of all desires. I mean, contentment is living in a way where you can have unfulfilled desires and yet they don't keep you from a sense of well-being or happiness. In the midst of whatever you're going through, because Jesus is with you, Christ strengthens you. You can live with a satisfying life, whether you are poor or rich, married or single, infertile, or having kids, or having a dream job, or working a minimum wage job. You have everything you need to be happy and live a contented life, because you have God. And if you're following Him, you have Him with you in every step you're going. Now, that may sound too simplistic, but it's really what we're talking about. It's uncomfortable for me to teach on simplicity for a couple reasons. We already kind of mentioned one, talking about money. Whenever pastor talks about money, it kind of gets odd and weird and awkward because a lot of us have emotional attachments to it and baggage around the topic of money, especially when people talk about it in church. It's also uncomfortable because I know I don't fully practice this the way I wanted to do it. I'm not fully hitting the bullseye when it comes to living like Jesus talks about in terms of simplicity. And yet, we are, as a community, committed to being honest with one another and continuing to grow together within that honesty. Growing in contentment and generosity as we practice simplicity is a critical spiritual habit that we need to have. The practice of simplicity used to be called frugality, but that word went out with, and there's not very many people who think positively about that word anymore. More recently, simplicity is called minimalism, but that sometimes gets mistaken for an ultra-modern design style that where you, you can have no mess and meaning you could never have that design style and have kids in your home. I mean, today minimalism seems to be all about organizing and practicing Marie Kondo's, letting go of things, of like, you know, taking an item and asking yourself, does this item hold joy for me? And if not, letting it go. I mean, that's good advice, but that's not what the focus of Jesus' practice of simplicity is about. Simplicity is about making space to intentionally align our lives around the goodness of God about decluttering our lives. 
we've drawn from him a lot. I really love how uh, author and pastor John Mark Homer defines it. He says it's, it's limiting the number of our possessions, expenses, activities, and social obligations to the level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. Because hurry and busyness all overload our souls and keep us from having the margin to receive God's love and thereby give that same love graciously and generously to others. To be clear, simplicity is not about owning nothing. It's about owning less things. I want us to consider today that maybe Jesus' claims that owning less stuff could actually lead us to a happier, more fulfilling life, and I hope that we can discover as we practice this that true and powerful spiritual reality. More stuff actually often comes with less peace, less contentment, less time for relationships, more stuff to maintain and take care of. The more stuff you have, the harder, harder it is for you to experience what God has for you in the kingdom. More stuff is actually not what we ache for, even though we think it is. It's difficult to know, isn't it, when we talk about stuff like this, how much is healthy to have? I mean, when are things taking too much space? See, Jesus' teachings don't give us a clear list of rules on how many cars we can own or what kind of car we should own or how big our houses should be or how many shoes we should have in our closet. The question is not how can I get more money, more square footage, more things. The question of the practice of simplicity is how can I simplify and live abundantly with less? It's not about just simplifying things. It's about simplifying our hearts to make more space for God and others. See, to practice simplicity, Jesus, the writers of the New Testament throughout church history direct us to two core ideas. They're kind of obvious, but let's just look at them. The first is simply to limit what you own. The first step is less uh, to, 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 spend, to desire less, to, to set limits on our spending, to set limits on our activities and the number of things in our home or our closet, our garage. So, so while the word, world around us is asking, how can I get more and more things? We're actually asking, how can I live with less? How can I set limits on materialism? Now, we're not trying to banish pleasure. Rather, we're trying to cultivate a heart of deep, real contentment and joy and actually make room for more pleasure in our life. Studies have shown the greater the clutter and you have, the more clutter you have in your home, the, the, the lower quality of sleep you actually have. Having too much stuff actually distracts our minds and drains our time and takes emotional energy from us. So before you purchase something, pause before you buy. Let yourself have time to think about it, especially the more expensive items. Pray about it. God's not against you having good things. But if God has plans for your money and space and time that are other than what you're thinking about, don't we really kind of want to discover that? So we discover the fullness of the goodness He has for us? It can actually feel good to us to not buy things. As Lent begins with Ash Wednesday coming up, Lent is a season where the church is remembering what it took for Jesus to get to Easter, what it cost Him to save us and restore relationship with us. Lent is a time of self-reflection. 
to see how our hearts have become crowded with other things than God. That's why fasting and self-denial is traditionally part of the season, to see what our hearts are really hungry for. The purpose of fasting and giving up things, be it chocolate or material things, is not to punish ourselves for our sins. Jesus took all the punishment for us. There's no reason for us to do that to ourselves. We give up things so that God can fill us. We give up things so that we can make ourselves more available to Him and His goodness. For some, Lent has been a time to give up shopping. No purchasing of clothes or for yourself or your for home. One woman who was doing this practice said there were several times she found herself starting to fill up the cart with stuff only to have to return it back to the shelves. And, and she said, if I was too tempted, I just left the cart full and walked out and just prayed that God would have, forgive me for making all that work for the workers to put all their stuff back on the shelves. It's one thing to own and have less. It's a whole other thing to walk into a store or look at a website and think, no, I'm good. I'm content with what I have. So step one toward freedom from our slavery to desire for more is to limit how much we own. The next step, which is actually where the practice of simplicity leads us, is the practice of generosity. Paul, in remembering the words of Jesus, said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And we quote that a lot, don't we? Do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Social science and neuroscience shows that God is, that Jesus is so right in what he's saying. The sciences show how being generous improves one level, one's level of happiness and health and it reduces stress. Generosity has been shown to decrease depression as well as lower blood pressure in similar ways to medication and exercise. One experiment actually studied brain scans of those who were given $100, and half of them were told to spend it on themselves, and half of them were told to spend it on someone they knew as a gift of generosity to them. The brain scans of those giving away the money showed that their brain was firing a whole lot more than the other ones in the areas of the brain that are associated with feelings of happiness. And those individuals also reported higher levels of happiness after the experiment was over. See, it doesn't matter the amount of the generosity, big or small. Generous giving to others helps, period. It can be as simple as uh, bringing a cup of coffee to a coworker in the morning. We are either every day becoming more free or we are becoming more enslaved to the greed around us in our heart that our culture tries to put on us. No matter what socioeconomic bracket you fall in, no matter how much money you have or don't have, whether you are a middle schooler or someone retired, you can practice generosity. You don't even need money to be generous. Some of you may not be working. You can be generous with your time. Generosity is a spiritual discipline. We discipline our budgets and our time to give even when we don't feel like it. Kind of summary, Jesus' practice of simplicity is not this morose, duty-based kind of legalism. It actually came out of his own acute self-awareness of his heart's deepest longing to live with the Father and to experience all the good the Father God designed for us to experience, all the pleasure that he designed for us to experience.
And our practice of simplicity needs to come from that same place, a desire to live with Jesus in his kingdom, in all of its goodness, now and forever. So here's a great question that I think all of us can ask ourselves on a regular basis. Do you own your things, or do your things own you? And actually, probably an even better question, does God own your things, Or do you own your things? The practice of simplicity helps our hearts to be free from the desire for more, to let us rest more in God. We limit our possessions, expenses, activities, social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. That's not a traditional Valentine's message, is it? But the practice of simplicity is really critical to the health of our relationships with God and with others. Do we have room for those relationships? Let's create more space on a consistent basis for those we love. Here are some action steps for this week as we push back on our culture's materialistic agenda, which is constantly bombarding us. And I want you to just kind of jump into this initially, just say, well, let's just try this short term, okay? Maybe it'll turn into long term, but at least just commit to saying, let's do this short term. You don't need to sell everything you own today. Jesus occasionally has asked people to sell all they own, but that's not the point necessarily. What we're asking you to do is to start where you are at. Not guilting or shaming yourself or anyone around you. This is not to be used as an excuse for some of you to say, I love to throw things, throw things out, you Marie Kondo wannabes. This is not about goading someone in your family to get the junk out the door. This is just letting each person begin an experiment and see if Jesus really was right. That simplicity that leads to increased generosity really leads to a better life. We have a handout that's going to be attached once this gets edited and put up in the next 24 to 36 hours on our website that you can download with lots of ideas of how to practice this. But let's just talk about a really easy way to approach it. The idea is to go through your home and find something to get rid of. And then just to throw it away, sell or give to somebody in need. It doesn't matter. And ideally, it's something you have a little bit of emotional attachment to. It's not, it's not something you just hate and want to get rid of, Right? You can do this with one item or a hundred items. That's totally up to you. As we do throw out stuff, take the time to remind yourself, what do I really want to make space for in my life? And does this thing aid me in in my life, in my vision for what God wants for me and what I want? Or does having this actually sabotage and hinder me from being what God wants me to be? In God's economy, simplicity always leads us to the joy of generosity. If you're in debt or out of work, no shame, no pressure. Just start where you're at and start small. The Bible talks about giving a lot and says give from the first fruits. So it was an agrarian society, so they would actually, the very first few bushels of their harvest, they would give to God. And, then, and it was kind of this idea that I'm going to trust God, even though I haven't done the rest of the field, I'm going to trust God for the provision for my future by giving my first. Meaning we give as soon as we get our paycheck, we, not, we don't hold on to it just in case there's a, a problem later in the month. First fruits is the idea that we give God our first and our best, not our leftovers. 
And God calls us to tithe. That means 10% of our income going to His work through the ministry of the church. If you already tithe, I would encourage you to pray about graduating that and increasing that from 10% on and asking the simplicity question, what do I need to live on? Is a question God is constantly asking us. Also, you may think back about one specific expense to cut. I don't know what it would be for you. Maybe it's eating out budget goes down a little bit, or maybe it's cable. I don't know. Is there one simple expense that you could cut and use that to be just a little bit more generous? Then watch what happens in your heart as you begin to practice simplicity and generosity. And just see if it's really true that you'll be more happy, more content, and experience more of God's goodness. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us. I pray now over all of us that that your spirit would come to us and there would be zero guilt, zero condemnation, that we wouldn't spend time looking back if we've if we've got too much around us that, that uh, of feeling bad about getting it all. Lord, would you just give us the freedom to start right now and to experience the joy of simplicity and generosity to experience the space in our lives of having less clutter and less things to manage and more time for what's really important with you and with family, with friends. Lord, would you give us the freedom and the joy of experiencing the power of this in increasing ways this year. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.